there's no no point in taking your own life. That's not going to solve anything. Yeah. You know, and because you just don't know. I used to always remember a song. You know, I know that there is pain, but if you hold on for one more day, you'll break free from the chains. And I always had that going around in my head whenever I was thinking about suicide. <laughs> I'm Sean McDonald, you're listening to Blethered and this is episode 40 with English actor Johnny Kinch. Johnny talks to me about his traumatic upbringing, running away from home at the age of 15 and then joining the Marines. He talks about living with ADHD and depression, attending one of the most prestigious drama schools in the world, both selling and using hard drugs, robberies, muggings, being in films and on TV, becoming a Christian preacher, suicide attempts and a whole load of chaos in between. It's a very interesting story. I'll let him tell it. He tells it honestly and bravely. Uh, He's a fantastic guy, really engaging to listen to. And Johnny's a great example of how anybody can recover and redeem themselves, no matter how far they stray from their path. You're never too far gone to turn anything around. During this chat, I was shocked. I felt sadness. I was laughed, and in the end, I felt inspired. And I hope you will be too. A special thanks goes to Mel Jones for bringing Johnny and I together and for providing the coffee and breakfast on a rainy London morning. As always, we'll be chatting about the episode and the topics brought up throughout on FlickChat. If you want to join in, you can find the link in the episode notes. Everybody's welcome and it takes just over a minute to join. If you enjoy this episode, feel free to either share it on social media or to send it to somebody who you think might enjoy it as well. Cheers. So, hello and welcome. Uh, as explained in the intro, I'm joined by the UK's answer to George Clooney, Brad Pitt, <laughs> and Robert De Niro rolled in one. Johnny Finch, how are you, mate? I'm all right, mate. That is some intro. <laughs> You've got a lot to live up to. It's normally the, the uh, love child of Jason Statham and Vin Diesel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, we'll get straight into it. We're going to talk about your life and times, we're going to talk about your career, ups and downs, but let's go back to the start, the start of your life, where you sort of grew up in early life, what that was like. Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> it's something I try and forget, in a sense, because mm-hmm. early life was really, I, I just not not got good memories yeah. of it. But um, my dad was a, a big guy, professional boxer, um, my he was very you know controlling in the family i've got two brothers um one older one younger we're all jays so jason jonathan joseph and um yeah you know me i guess i was like my dad in many ways and that's why i think we clashed yeah and i i kind of um i got misdiagnosed with ocd but I had ADHD. Right. But you're talking back in, like, you know, 1977, mm-hmm. you know, when I was six years old. Yeah. And so uh, I had all these habits and things I was doing. So there was a mixture, but it was it, people didn't really know about those kind of things then. So you were just a naughty boy, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? Stop doing that, you naughty boy, you know what I mean? And, right, and, and the punishment was, my, uh, my dad didn't know what to do with me, and so I would get, you know, punched, 
hit, belts, sticks, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, quite quite bad. I mean, um, and all it did was made me inside rise rise up, you yeah. know what I mean, stronger in a yeah, sense, yeah. more um, to resist him and, um, and, and I started to then hate him. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And, and I, of course, he, I, I now have nothing to do with him. And which is a sad thing, but it's because I don't I don't know him, I, you know. As I realised when I, as I grew up and um, and things went you know south, um, you know he I didn't have a father. My mum had been uh, a lot lots of I can't really say too much about her life because that's her personal life. But yeah. you know, Im- just imagine you know worst case scenario, what would your father do and things like that, and then what her husband would do and then being trapped in in the mindset of a child for the rest of your life in a sense you know what i mean and uh, and never letting go of that and she's not been able to let go of that so i i I don't really see my mum much it's not because i i I dislike her it's just that i don't feel i know her yeah i don't see my dad at all i had it out with him at one point you know because we were trying to play happy families and i was going like you know i can't do this yeah right you you got to admit to X, Y, and Z, you know, and um, he found faith again. But, you know, because he went from being this professional boxer um, and doorman at a club called the Adam and Eve in right. Loughborough to to then getting this, you know, huge um, kind of turnaround, became a, a Christian, you know, and started going to the local church. And, of course, if he went, because he was a control freak, we all had to That's go. Everybody had to do what he had to do. And then he went off and studied... Theology, so we all had to up and leave and move to Birmingham when he went to Bible Institute there, and um, so I went to about eleven different schools, you know, as we went around the country, and so I had to learn very quickly, you know, to uh, to fit fit in, yeah, you know what I mean, to not be afraid and all that kind of stuff, um, and all the well with a misdiagnosed all the time as well, yeah, and I, I I now look at that retrospectively because my son's been diagnosed with ADHD and I saw the signs you know I have a little boy and little girl and I saw the signs and you know and we put everything in place and I it's been the complete opposite you know in terms of the fact that there's no corporal punishment in our family you know the 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 worst case scenario for for my kids is that they get to go on the reflection step right (laughs) you know if you don't you know don't do it you're going to go on the reflection step so they think that is like the worst oh the the screams the cries you know (laughs) and like and they know i'll put i'll take them put them on the reflection step yeah but but the thing is what i don't even call it the naughty step because they're not naughty Mm -hmm. they do naughty things but i don't want them to have that you know yeah they are like sort of innately bad because i grew up with that tag you know, yeah. do do you feel a sense of, and this may be like a bit of a reach, but I'm just imagining if it was me that those things happened to you and you were treated that way, punished that way for what was essentially something you had no control over. Do you sometimes think that you're glad that you did because now your kids, as a result, have a much better upbringing or, or environment? Because obviously, through your experience, you now know what not to ever. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean. If if it meant, I mean, for the the love I have for my children, yeah, which changes a person when you have children, yeah, you know, you can you can kind of 
sympathise a little bit with people when you hear stories on the news and stuff like that when they've got something's happened to their children or whatever. But when you have children, mm. it's a, it's a different, completely different thing. Something happens. It's just the oddest thing. If it meant that I had to relive all of that again, just that they could be where they are, mm-hmm. then I would. Yeah. You know, I'm not glad that it happened. Yeah, yeah. But I would do it for them. Yeah. You know, if you get what I mean. Yeah. You know, it, it ruined most of my life. And I had to rediscover who I was and why I was like I was. And, you know, and then uh, when I got married, my wife is, is we're completely chalk and cheese it, it, when we first got together mm-hmm. you know um you know i'd been in prison i've been you know ex-coke dealer coke you know addict you know heroin homeless for years selling the big issue here in the west end living in hostels here in the west end mm-hmm. living in hostels all over the country you know doing street robberies muggings you know fighting swearing gambling i had a i lost a quarter of a million pound gambling you know smoking 40 fags a day picking dog ends up from the streets all that kind of thing yeah. she was brought up in a christian family you know, her mum died when she was 10. Her dad brought her up on on, on his own. Mm-hmm. She'd never drank, never sworn, never done any of those things, and still hasn't to this day. <laughs> really? Right? She used to come and do water. <laughs> and so, you know... This fucking hurricane of chaos. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean... I And how we met, though, you know, and how my life changed, I mean, that came at a later date, but um, before all that, I never could foresee... I never thought I was going to get past 29. Mm. You know, I buried some of my mates, literally. You know, spoke at their funerals. Yeah. They didn't make it. You know, drugs, drink, whatever. And um, let's... We'll we'll, we'll kick back to the start and then we'll get to how you got to all that madness and then on the other side of it. First of all, so for anybody, myself included, who doesn't fully understand the symptoms of ADHD or the sort of traits of it, like how, how is it defined? Like, if you have ADHD... What? How does that impact your life? Well, um, until you know you've got it, you, you know it's very difficult to explain it because yeah, you just yeah. think you are the way you are. Yeah, yeah. You know, until you get a diagnosis or you think this, you know, people are telling you that there's something wrong with you and whatever. And so it started off really with, I guess, you know, uh, stop shouting. You're shouting all the time. You know, as a kid, yeah. and and I probably was, but I didn't think I was. You know, yeah. I, and um, and then of course, because it was all suppressed, and and I was beaten for it, um, I then had a chip on my shoulder, and went off, um, left home, ran away from home. I mean, it was a, an awful way to leave home. My dad was beating my mum. My my two brothers were hiding upstairs. I ran downstairs. I jumped on my dad's back and was trying to wrestle him around his neck. He he was, you know, I was 15, he was the way bigger than me and, mm-hmm. you know, threw me off and um, and then pulled a big chunk out of my hair as I was trying to get out the door and then got in his car and chased me down the road and I hid behind this wall okay, and then I had to go, there was an army barracks near us and I ran through these fields and he chased me in the car through these fields and I got... It's like a fucking horror film. I'm, t- I'm telling you, and I got away from him by... When he got out of the car and he came to the army, I said, I don't know who this man is, he's crazy, right? And pretending I didn't know him. Yeah. And I literally threw the army guy into my dad, ran up the drive of where the army barracks was, yeah. 
literally stood in front of the road. This was when Granadas were around on on cars, oh, yeah. you know, Ford Granada, and this brown Ford Granada just screeched to a stop. An old man in it. I jumped in the car, said, "Just take me wherever you're going," and he dropped me off in a town. And my dad had jumped in the car and was chasing us. And I says, "Can you lose? Can you lose him?" And he was in a he had a much more powerful car, and we just lost him. Bloody hell! And basically, that was when that, was, that, that was leaving home. And then, so where did you end up? Like, how, so just with the clothes on your back, like nothing else? Yeah, just from the clothes on my back, a chunk of air missing out of my head, <laughs> and, you know, f- really just glad to be away from that psycho, yeah. you know, because he he would just he would just flip. Flip. Like, like a psycho. Yeah, uh, he, did he have things that damaged him? No. Just, just this was, was it. His, his, his father was, was a lovely man. Yeah. His mother was the most lovely person. He never got punished or mm-hmm. hit or anything like that. He had no reason to be that way. So just in his nature, he just was a Just bit. in his nature. And I think when I look back now, I think maybe he had what I had. And he didn't know how to control it yeah, or yeah. to deal with it. Do you know it's, that's it's, pretty likely? Cause it seems... Yeah, it's possible. And so I've had to forgive him yeah. in my head and say, he's, I don't know, I'm not going to ask him to... You know, for for him to forgive, yeah, or say I forget, you know, please forgive me. But I've had to forgive him for not even f- asking. That. Yeah, yeah, and it's, just let him. It's like it's like because it, if you didn't give that forget, it's like saying one of the of the best ways or the most effective ways to peace is to forgive people who never say they're sorry. Because otherwise, you're just going to carry that around with you, and it must. And I'm sure it did, as you'll explain. It must have had some some mad burden. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine that. Yeah, I mean, you know, who wants to, you know, I'm not going to go to his funeral, right? That That's the, the length of it. And it's not because I hate him. It's because I don't know him. Yeah. I don't I don't know him. Uh, you know, uh, there's no, we have no common ground. There's nothing other than the fact that, you know, him and my mum got together and I was made. And yeah. then and then I, I was basically shaped by their aggression. My mum told me from an early age... You know, when she was pregnant with me, that he was very violent and, you know, and she was very depressed. And, and of course, that must have affected because all them chemicals yeah, that, that are released in the body, I'm getting them as well. And, yeah, I, yeah. you know, and, and then, of course, and I'm born into that yeah. and then brought up in that as well. And I see this guy who's out there, has this conversion, he's out there preaching and then yeah. he's coming home and hitting the crap out of me. Yeah. And you're like going, and he's hitting you. And then he's saying, I'm doing this because I love you. And you're like, I can't, and like, yeah, even as a that. kid, you're going, well, I, that, that's screwed up. I can't, uh, uh, you know, and he like, got to the point where he said, I'm sick of hitting you now. So I'm going to, you're going to sit there and I'm going to hit myself. So I used to take it, roll his trouser leg up and, and make me sit there watching him while he was smack his leg as, until it went bright red. Uh, mate, right, and so I'm standing there going, you know, what the. I just want to watch I don't even know. Was, what the fuck well, yeah, on. I mean, it was either the engine that was on the one. This was as well, yeah, swap shot and all that. But, you know, what does that do to you as a, as a, as a kid? It's unimaginable. It's unimaginable, and I suppose only with reflection or even professional analysis or insight you could ever truly begin to, to comprehend that. It's nuts. Right, so, you, you've jumped in this guy's car. Where have you ended up? You I've just, ended up in this... A uh, town called Colville, right. which I had never been to, it was miles away, and uh, basically, 
he just let me out of the car in the middle of this town and I said, you got any, you haven't got a spare fag, have you? And he gave me about, four, obviously, I don't smoke now, but about then, he gave me five or six fags and I just set off walking. And I, and it got dark quite quickly because it was, uh, it must have been kind of like autumn time. Right. And, um, and I came across this farm and I could see this shed and um, this is so. This is how my life's been all the all the way through. And I saw this like a uh, farm shed and it had a light on. And I thought I'm just going to go in there and see if anyone's there. So I popped my head around the door and there was this woman there. She says, well, can, "What? Hello, can I help you?" And I says, uh, "I told her the story of what happened." It turned out she worked for the Samaritans, right? <laughs> she, oh, she, yeah, and she said, "She said, look." Is there anywhere you can go? Is there any? And I had a girlfriend at the time, mm-hmm. and um, I said, "Well, I, can I make a phone call?" She said, "Yeah, sure." So I, ra- I rang, and her mum said, "Just if you can bring him over here, he can sleep on the floor, or whatever." So mm-hmm. basically, that's what happened. But I, I just happened to walk in that place, and there was a Samaritan, a good Samaritan, literally. Do you? Yeah. Do you believe you know, in like sort of fate and things like that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, to me, that's like. Yeah, I mean, my whole life, you know, the yeah, it's a, it's a crazy whole old story because this is just a tiny piece of of the real craziness that happened, where I became a church minister, where I, you know, you, this we haven't even got to any of this, where I travelled the world preaching myself, where I met my wife and and all of that kind. Of, I mean, this. That's what you say to people listening now. You better <laughs> fucking buckle up because we are in for we are in for a hell of a ride I'm here. So you you went to your girlfriend's. I take it you just kind of tried to then get on your feet. I dosed there for a while, and of course, you know, you you, you people's kindness, you know, can only last that long yeah. unless they're super duper kind. Yeah. And of course, I couldn't stay there, so I think I went went over to Loughborough, um, and I got a job at uh, Mister Cool's Freezer Centre, right. and um, <laughs> managed to get this little bedsit room. And um, I slept rough for a little bit first and then managed to do that. And I got a bit of independence then. Mm -hmm. And it was then when I was like, you know, I got to um, 18, just just nearly 19, I decided, you know, I'd I'd done loads of jobs. You know, McDonald's, I'd done every kind of menial job, you know, labouring, stuff like that. And I thought, you know, I'm going to join the Marines. And so um, I went down to the careers office, you know, and... There's quite simple things. It was quite easy to join then in, in the sense of not actually get in the Marines, but it was quite easy to go and say, I want to sign up, yeah, yeah. you know? And um, so I went through that process and I, then I eventually got accepted into the Marines after going and doing a potential recruit course, which is three days down in Limston, and um, where they basically, you know, thrashed the crap out of you and then, and you, you know. Um, and then I, I, I joined the Marines and so I was in there um, and I was wanting to have a life in there. I signed for 22 years, but I came out after about a year and a half. Uh, so, you, t- so you can sign for... T- you can be like... I'll, yeah, I'll. yeah, you had to. There was That was that was what it was. Right. You signed for 22 years. But you can just leave whenever you want. You can't leave whenever you want. But I... Because I injured both of my legs, mm-hmm. and I actually get a war pension now... Right, okay. um, um I basically... I was, I was no good to them. And back then, they... They didn't really have any aftercare. They didn't, you know. Yeah. They didn't. Te- I didn't know for twenty five years that I could get a war pension. So when I eventually backdate, no, they won't backdate it. Ah, yeah. So I lost about thirty five grand, and yeah. um, 
But you know, anyway, I, 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 it was an experience. I was in there, you know, and and that that kind of toughened me up. We were out fighting a lot with the paras in Exeter and stuff like that, you know, and that you know, weekends getting drunk and um, and of course, even that wasn't enough to quell my kind of inner anger that yeah. would would come out, and I didn't know why it was there or whatever. Um, but I was generally a nice guy, you know what I mean? I got on with everybody and stuff like that. But, you know, if the crap hit the fan, you know, I mean, I'd be the first in there. Yes. You know? Just, was like, I've had this conversation with a few people on the show and talking about violence as a form of communication. Yeah. Like, if, like so to me, and the example I used was at school when kids would, at the first sign of an argument or, or a disagreement, would go straight to throwing a punch and to me I'm like that is fucking mental like why is that your first thought I mean Glasgow's a rough place but to me I'd be like why is that your first instinct is to start fighting I think you're just a pure dick that's what I think and yeah. now with the benefit of life experience I'm like they had a bit of a mental house and that was just their first thought whereas I was very lucky where violence wasn't a, a prevalent thing yeah absolutely it's exactly what I teach my kids you know there's no hitting in our house, yeah. uh, and not even them each other. We, do, yeah, we just yeah. won't tolerate it. So use your words. You're not tempted to set up like we you know all get your pals around we boxing max, throw some. Oh, I, on. I box all the time. No, I mean with the kids, so get them to oh. and then get your mates to bet on it and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like, Come on, yeah, get in that pit. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but yeah. So I mean, that you're a nice guy, but just a switch would go where you're just ready to to go. And yeah, fight. I mean. I mean, I was, to be honest with you, um, I can remember beating my dad at an arm wrestle when I was 15, and I and he was a big lad. Sure, he took that well. And he didn't take it well, <laughs> and he didn't like it, and, you know, I always, I, I got, to, got to a point where, you know, I, I knew that if I'd run into him or whatever, I could handle him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because I've been in the Marines and, you know, and, and whatever, and, but I would come out on leave and... All the lads who had picked on me when I was younger, I'll come back and find them in a pub somewhere. I'll yeah. sit there next to them and talk to them and go, and they'd be like, because oh, I was different then, I was bigger, right, right. you know what I mean? And they were like, hey, all right, Johnny, how are you doing? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine, yeah. You know, when you leave here, I'm going to I'm gonna knock your face off. Fuck. Do you know what I mean? And I, and I did, and, I, and that's right. what I did. And I, you know, I got done for it and whatever, plenty of times. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not proud of that. Um... You know, I remember th- you know, three or so lads. I worked at Leon Allen, which was the name of a shop up in the Midlands. as a group of shops, and it's like as a Saturday boy, it was like in retail. And they would just come and stand outside with their helmets on their bikes, you know what I mean, and bashing their helmets and waiting for me. And I'd have to sneak out the back and run off and whatever. Yeah. And these were the guys, and they put fear in me because I already had enough fear in my life, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So I ran away from it because I was scared as well of what would it would unleash. Yeah, because I knew I had power in me. Yeah, you know, I and and then when it got unleashed, that was it. There was, there was sparked out, mm-hmm. and I'm not proud of that. But you know that that's the way that's the way it was. That's um, like a, that's an unbelievable amount of honesty and like total self reflection. Like there's no sort of felt on that. Like how can how are you that way? Because we often we that's such a vague question. But often people will try and avoid. The, the things that they've done or the less desirable history like is that just a character trait of yours or is that how you just deal with I it don't, I don't see the point in you know um, trying to make out something I'm not mm. 
you know, I, I am the, I am made up of the choices that I've made to date. Yeah. You know, that's it. And a lot of them have been bad, yeah. but, but a lot of them have been good. Mm. And I'm now focusing on the good, you know, and there's still, there are still demons in my head. There are still things that try and take me out. There's mm. still, you know, that's part of ADHD as well. You know, it's what I call it like Tourette's of the mind. You know what I mean? It's not might not come out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it might come out in other ways, like physically or whatever. Yeah. Um, or I might get obsessive about something that's completely small. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then something that's massive, I just take it in my stride. And that's a really weird thing because yeah, yeah, ADHD because yeah. I'm kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, like, see, you ma- tunnel vision and massive, like massive things, like sort of life changing things. I'm like, not I can really do about it. But we small things will drive me nuts. Oh. She like people whistling. <laughs> right, like, see on trains, I'll be like, honestly, and I must seem like a pure psycho because I'll be like, you need to stop that because it's like I'm ready to With your accent as well, I'll go, okay, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Like, I could be dressed, I could be like dressed, I don't know, in a, in a women's dress and still somebody be like, I don't know, mate, he's Scottish. Just normal whistling. <laughs> yeah, no, mate, I don't know. Like, it's just. What annoys me about whistling, right, is I'm like, it is a total lack of care for anybody else. I'm like, somebody just, I like seeing people don't whistle a tune, if they go, I'm like, I want to physically harm this person. <laughs> like, it, dri- it drives me absolutely insane. Um, like, can something, like, do you, when you said Tourette's to the mind, is it like your mind will go, remember that time you did this? Or? Well, it'll be like, um, Jack, it's very much Jekyll and Hyde, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I have to bring a bit of the present into this all past, you know, few years because, um, you know, three and a half years ago, I had a, I had a, I woke up in the middle of the night and had a seizure, right. and uh, and I instantly got tinnitus. If you don't know what tinnitus is, it's ear? yeah, it can be in various different sounds for different people, but right. for mine, it was a really high pitched noise. Fuck. And I still got that, and that's three and a half years on. Right. And I spiralled into depression. I was due to go out to America and speak at, at the Bronx in the Bronx, uh, you know, as a as a preacher, and mm. and I had to fulfil that. And I went out there and did that, and I was a broken man. I was in bit. I didn't know what to do. I was claustrophobic of the head, yeah. you know. And when you're down, you know, these thoughts will come and try and take you out. Right, yeah. Now, I don't want to get all biblical or any, or, you know, and all that kind of thing. I'm still a believer, yeah. right? You know, I'm not, I haven't been church for a long time, mm-hmm. but that is because, you know, church can be like a social club. Yeah. You know what I mean? And people yeah, yeah. can fall off a pew into hell. It doesn't make you, you know, go to McDonald's, it don't make you an hamburger. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? At the end of the day, you, you are what you do. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, people know you from you, the content of your character. Yeah. You know, and, and not just from, oh, I say my thing on a Sunday and then the rest of the week I act like a dick. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? And I like so, dad. well, yeah, and exactly, you know, I mean, he was having affairs and all sorts of things. Mm. And so, if you're going to do something, mm-hmm. then do it. And yeah. let that let that be what people see, yeah. rather than shout about it and not and be seen not to do it. But with me, um, the kind of psych, psychological side of it was, um, I'd have this Jekyll and Hyde. And when, when I had, I thought I would sorted everything out when I had, you know, said this prayer and in the back of this church when I was, I was I'd, I had a tag on my ankle, I was on license from prison, you know what I mean, all that. Mm. And I said this prayer and I said, God, okay, you know what? If you like Ron Seal. You know, does what it says on the tin. I says, you know, have a crack. 
you know what I mean? Let's go for it. Yeah. And and my life did change. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it changed. Like I didn't swear, drink, do drugs, gamble. Everything just stopped within about a couple of weeks. Yeah. And I didn't do anything ten years. And and I haven't done anything since, apart from I started drinking when I, when I spiraled into depression. Mm-hmm. And this Jekyll and Hyde that was always there was just waiting. It's yeah. waiting for you to to, to for, for a little chink in your armor, yeah, like to, to, fall to, to get in there and then and then to prise it apart yeah. and then to start feeding you all these negative thoughts mm-hmm. and then you start believing and you start saying and speaking these negative thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, to yourself and in your own head or whatever. It's typical, you know. What I mean, I'm never going to get rid of this. Went to the doctors. Oh, I've got the tinnitus. Oh, it's incurable. They said, you know what I mean. And of course, that's another negative. And mm-hmm. oh, I'm incurable now. And oh, blah blah blah. No one was offering any answers. And of yeah. course, you start drinking. And me being the obsessive person I am, if I do something, I give 110. Yeah. percent So if I give, if I drink, I'll give 110. percent Tell you what, mate. Do you want to go for a night? I, I'm, telling, I'm <laughs> telling you, right? You know. I, and I, I very quickly went from you know one bottle of wine to three bottles of wine yeah. you know in an evening, uh-huh. and I would be drink, and I drank three bottles of red wine, not the cheap stuff either. You know, you're fourteen percent, fifteen percent, you know. Um, and I did that whilst getting up at eight o'clock in the morning, going to the gym, and still coming down here for castings because I was with an agent at the yeah, time. Yeah. And um, no, one, no one would know. Mm-hmm. No one would he knew. And I was very high functioning alcoholic. Yeah. And then it got to a point where I. You know, my wife, of course, knew about it. My kids saw me drinking wine, but they never, they never ever saw me in it any other way. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and people might go, "Well, the kids know," and all that kind of thing. Well, we, you know, I was very, very careful yeah, yeah. about it, and I never went out drinking. It was always me at home. My wife don't drink, so you know, I found myself laughing at stupid things on telly when she was like, "What's she laughing at?" You know, and like. And then I started getting grumpy, and it affected my life, and mm-hmm. and then that negativity is taking over. So to a point where I'm not afraid to talk about it. Yeah. I'm not afraid to go. I said to my wife, right, I'm going down the GP, and I'm going to say to her, I'm an alcoholic, right? I know what it's like to be an alcoholic. I had ten years of sobriety. Mm-hmm. I need help. Can yeah. you help me? And that's what I did. And and then I got some help for a while, and that was going quite well. And um, I realised a lot about, you know, coming off alcohol. I came up with my own theories and stuff like that. And that, you know, look, I'm I'm like a pilot in a plane, and I'm above the clouds. I can't see I can't see the landing pad. So I'm having to rely on this this manual. Yeah. You know what I mean? To take me to press the right buttons. To yeah. I can't if I nosedive and just stop. I'm gonna what happens? I'm gonna crash. Button, yeah. So I've got to I've got to you know stop talking this way. And, and bring myself from 80,000 to 70,000, 60,000, bring myself down. Oh, I can get through the clouds a bit now. I can see the runway. I see yeah, if I can yeah. get, a, you know, yeah, a, no. and land in and then disembark, yeah. you know? It's a, it's a, a, an impressive display of, like, strength, fortitude to be able to say that. Well, I need assistance in doing this. I need help. A lot of people often do crash and burn because, you see, they'll try and do it themselves. They'll try and just um, and nosedive. It doesn't work. Uh, can you find out how? So I mean, I know I jump about. No, you know what I, mean? I love that. Though. I like jumping about. It doesn't all have to be like you know, total chronological. So you you had your independence. You know, you had your bed set and stuff. I take it that kind of disintegrated a bit for you to end up being on the street. Well, yeah, like I say, I went to the Marines, yeah. and then um, when I left there, um, I, I came back to nothing. There was you know, there was nobody there for me yeah. or whatever. So I decided. I'm going to 
go to Spain. That's when I went to Barcelona. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I yeah. and I took sixty. I had sixty quid. I bought an old. I went into Irish menswear, which is like some old army surplus store. Yeah. And I bought like this uh, German army paratrooper um, sleeping bag from the Second World War, which basically had little legs on it and whatever. Put that in a bag, sixty quid. Somebody had given me a one-way ticket on the National Express to uh, London. Caught the, the coach to London, uh, thumbed it down to Dover. Was at Dover, the port, thumbing it there. A lorry driver picked me up, got me on the ferry with him. I went across to Zeebrugge. He dropped me off there. I, um, I mean, you, you wouldn't do this now. You're crazy, you know. Yeah. I mean, you probably end up dead. But yeah. I, then, then I thumbed it all the way through Europe, um, through to Ghent, to Brussels in Belgium and then across to Paris and then down to Toulouse which is the last town before you get into Spain mm-hmm. so I had to go all the way up this mountain and back that was the first time I showed my passport when I was going into Spain that's mad yeah which was crazy in itself and then I found a, an old moped just on the side and it was about 10 miles down to the town so I just nicked this moped and jumped on it and just went, <laughs> off, off I went to what this town was this? oh blimey this would have been in 1990 Three, good time to be getting to Barcelona when they've just done everything up for the Olympics. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, the Olympics. I think so. It was either, um, it must have been after the. No, it was around that time actually. Year after, yeah, yeah, that's right. Ninety four, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, it was a big time for Barcelona at that point. Um. Is your mattress making noises it never used to, or is it sagging? causing you to then it's time to get a new one get the best sleep at the best value with the nectar mattress prices start at just 499 dollars and you get 399 dollars in accessories thrown in a 365 night home trial and a forever warranty go to nectarsleep.com that that's a that's so funny it's such, it's such, have you been back since no, because it'll be so so different. But I mean, yeah. how's that? Like, you've got all these things going on in your head. You've not got much money, if anything. You get to Barcelona, then like. Well, I was young. And I thought I was invincible. Mm-hmm. You just think like you know you're immortal. That's it. You it sounds like a really fun wee travelling holiday. Like, well, you know, I, I I slept in hedges, buses. I got to eventually got to Barcelona. Um, I like, you know, I went down the the. the ambassador's place or whatever it's called you know and uh, said to them oh, I've had my wallet nicked and all that I had 100 quid in it and blah blah can you help me out and they, they went oh no we can't and I was like crap and that's yeah, like, sure. we can let you have a phone call so I rang back to uh, my ex-girlfriend and I told her the same story she was a load of crap yeah, yeah. and then she was um, going to trans- was transferring like 50 quid or something um, to the Banco de Barclays mm-hmm. uh, which as I learned a little bit of Spanish where I met a girl it was, it was cashier there right. and um, basically you know I was young I had hair I had blonde hair and like you know I was young and slim and fit at the time and um, you know we got chatting and then where, where are you staying and because like I kept going in each day waiting for this transfer I said I was sleeping out on the there's a park next to the train station um, and it's kind of like a, it's a fountain was and, it Sands? I can't remember what it was called but 
not just round the corner from the train, the main train station. Yeah, yeah, okay. Where yeah. a lot of travellers would would yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. just and congregate so that's there. My flat is just right near there. <laughs> that's funny, isn't it? No, isn't it? I know. So I used to go go and sleep there. I used to arm wrestle people in the train station, like you know, go and sit for for baguettes. I'll say, you know what I mean. Um, that's so funny. I used to do all sorts of crazy stuff. And um, anyway, and then she says, "Well, look, I've got a flat that's being done up." You know, at the moment, it's just, it's, it's, you know, at least it's off the street. Uh, I am engaged, you know. I don't think my, my fiancé will be very happy about it, but, you know, I want to help you out. So she put me up in this flat, and then I was having these lads come on the scooters at night shouting at me and all this. It was obviously her fiancé, and then she split up with him, and I started seeing that. Yeah, and, like, um, and then <laughs> she, yeah, she took me out and... Uh, and taught me some Spanish you know yeah. so it took me to restaurants and made me order and things like that yeah, and whatever yeah. um, anyway then she knew this guy who, who worked as an entertainment manager out in Menorca right. and um, she says oh he's coming over you know and he offered me a job he says and we'll pay we'll fly, we'll fly out there because it's not far yeah um, yeah and so I went out to Menorca and I did a, a season out there and then I, I was entertainment assistant entertainment manager like you know and um, of course, when my, my dad was in the church and all of that, when I was yeah. younger, he'd made me go out the front all the time and do all the, the kind of acting things, yeah, and, yeah. you know, and the singing, you know, and I had to do solos and stuff like that, yeah. man, or duos with my brother, and you know, pff, yeah, yeah. Look back now, you cringe. But, I know, but you're, you're like somewhat accustomed. To well, it, yeah, you? yeah. So you know, and I was always, I, I wanted to do that because at school, I got uh, the the what is now the Curve Theatre in Leicester, which is the biggest theatre there. Um, was called the Haymarket right. and they came round they were putting on a big show of guys and dolls and they came round all the schools looking for some some young people to be in it and they picked me out and wanted me to be in it but because it was on a Sunday my dad being this strict vicary pastor guy yeah. you know um, wouldn't let me do it so I lost it There's another thing to resent him for yeah. but anyway um, so doing all of this stuff out in Barcelona uh, sorry Menorca was was fine, right? mm-hmm. and I got to know families all the way through. And then one particular family at the end said, "You coming to the end of the season? What are you going to do?" So I don't know. She says, "Well, why, we've got a massive house up in Hesel in Hull. Why don't you come and live with us?" And I was like, "Yeah, cool." So I, I flew back, <laughs> flew back, went and lived with them, worked behind a local bar um, for a while, and um, I kind of yeah, kind of had a little life there. And then yeah. then decided to come back down to uh, Leicestershire. And, um, yeah, and that's when I decided, oh, I'm going to go, I, I want to be an actor, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I went to Melton Mowbray Drama College, right, applied yeah. to go there. Went, I thought, oh, they want me to audition. So and they just said, just turn up, you'll be fine. So I went and did this audition. It was just the most stupidest, crappiest audition. It was like, oh, okay, you're in a park, you're just sitting on this bench, and then you, you, you turn around and you see a wet paint sign, and you, what do you do? And, and so <laughs> I just... So, Don't touch the wall. Do you know what I mean? So, I, so that was it. And they went, okay, you got in. And I was, I was like, <laughs> that was easy. And, um, but wherever you go in life, you always bump into yourself. And if you and if you haven't dealt with that baggage, you haven't dealt with those demons. No matter how where mm. places you go, you, they're going to be there. Yeah. They're going to pop the, pop up. And I remember getting my first kind of bursary for there. It was seven hundred and seventy-seven pound, and I put it all on one horse. Oh fuck! Because I'd I'd been gambling by this time, right. you know, and um, 
a mate of mine had took me into a bookies one time and I'd put a fiver on a horse and it had won and I thought, man, this is easy dollar. That's how they hook you, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and then, so you, get, yeah. then you're just chasing all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, you, you're angry. You're like, I'm not letting them get my money. I'm not getting that money yeah, back, you know. And, um, but you never do. And I take it this 777 on the horse lost. It had Adrian Maguire on it. Right? I remember. I can remember the jockey. Adrian Maguire was a champion jockey at the time, and it was over the sticks. It was he was out in front. He was a mile in front, and it was like somebody trying to chuck a bag of potatoes over a wall on the last fence, and he just hit it like a. And that's it. And oh, I was yeah. just there going. And I'm going. No. Oh, mate. And on the off chance that Adrian Maguire's listening, you're a fucking dead man, pal. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Adrian. You better watch. All right. <laughs> 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 somebody pass it on. You watch your back, mate. We're coming for you. So like that must have caused all sorts. Well, because it rage. then you, you then have to become very creative in your lying. Yeah. And you know you just carry on spinning this web all the time because you just then got to borrow money and you've got to go back and uh, back to the college and uh, I need more money from the bursary wire. Was your money gone? I my nan passed away. I had to pay for the funeral and all this kind of stuff. And oh, you know because I was a good actor, I just convinced people mm. and you know people lent me money and I was just then known for years and years and years and years and years. And even when I got into RADA and I went to RADA, you know, and I, um, that, which we'll get to. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I left there as well in debt. So, yeah, I, and I, I left, I left uh, Melton Drama College like literally two weeks before finishing the course because I'd come in drunk or I was gambling uh, or I was like, you know, I was the best actor there by far. You know, there were no none of them had gone on to do nothing. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and that's not me. I don't want to brag about that. It's just that. You know, a lot of people tick these modules and they go along and oh, I'm going to do this as well as something else. And, yeah. you know, they think that they're going to just fall out of there into Coronation Street yes. or something, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, for me, it was a vocation. Mm-hmm. That was it. There was no... You're doing it for the long That's it. Then, yeah. There's no going back, Yeah. you know? Um, so when I got kicked out of there, I remember saying to Richard, I can't remember his last name now, uh, Richard White or something like that, who's the head teacher at the college I said to him well screw you anyway what, who, who knows Melton Drama College I'm going to RADA and, and they were all laughed at me and whatever yeah, yeah. and then you know eight months later I was I'd got accepted into RADA after. how is that because I was talking about it earlier with another actor and we were talking about how prestigious it is and it's very difficult to get in like what was your process for going about getting in because the point the guy was making is that it's very classist like very elite like yeah. you know it's the top did you have to apply for like a scholarship or do you just apply sort of normally like how did it it go? was crazy man it was crazy I applied to Bristol Old Vic Central School of Speech and Drama and to RADA mm-hmm. uh, Bristol turned me down Central turned me down and RADA accepted me how it happened with RADA is the first audition I went to, you know, I had to do a Shakespeare piece, I had to do a piece which was, you know, kind of uh, post-1960, so I chose to do a character called Les uh, from a play called East by Stephen Burkoff, and it was very sweary and about, you know, saying, uh, you know, I don't, I don't actually swear now, but saying, like, really dirty swear words. And yeah. all these That's how he wrote. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then I had to sing a, a song unaccompanied, and I sang Poisoning the Pigeons in the Park, which was an old-time song, right. which was quite funny and... And then I remember sitting down at the first audition and they said to me, okay, oh, okay, that was interesting. And they um, said, so, so who do you, could you be like, you know? And I just watched Schindler's List not long before and, and I was like, yeah, you know, that Schindler's List, I, I could do that, you know, like Ralph Fiennes. I says, you know, I come from some council estate, you know, and I was like, I was, 
I was just completely confident in myself. Yeah, yeah. And it could have come across as cockiness, but I could not be classy. Yeah, because yeah. I, you know, and turn into someone else because I, I was who I was. Yeah, that was it. You either take me or leave me. It was a bit like educating Rita type thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, th- I think they were a bit took back by it, and because I left there that day, yeah. and I, as I was walking down uh, Cheney Street because they had, a, they've got an office on Cheney Street, and their main buildings on Gower Street. Yeah. And um, this woman came, receptionist came running down the street. Mister Kinch, Mister Kinch, uh, can you come back, please? And I was like, well, I thought I'd left something there. And they said, they want to see you back up, you know, uh, in front of the panel. So I was like, okay, cool. I was like, what have I done or whatever? So I went in there and they said, look, you know, your story you've told us quite took us aback and, and your performances were really good and we really like you. And we don't normally do this, but we want to cut you a break. So we're going we're gonna to tell you now that you've definitely got a recall. And they, they, and they don't do that. Yeah. And like, because normally you have to wait for a few months before you get a letter yeah yeah and um so I was like wow that's amazing so so of course I get on the tube and I'm on the train back up to Leicestershire you know I'm telling everyone I've got, I've got him rather I've got him rather <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know and and I guess I I, I prophesied my own yeah. way in there yeah, because yeah. Ev- every time I went back for an audition and there's four in the process mm-hmm. there's, you go back and do the same thing with something different yeah. then you go back and do a half day and then you do a full day a workshop and all that kind of thing. I just moulded myself into what they wanted. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I just carried on being me, and I just kept on getting through. And then eventually when I got the call saying you've got through, okay, now now's the hard part. You've got to raise 40 grand in the next few weeks. And I was like, hmm. They said, oh, we've, we've, we've arranged for you to go on BBC Radio Leicester and, uh, and talk about the lack of funding in the arts. I went, okay, cool. Um, so whilst I was waiting for that to come up, um, I'd never. I mean, there was no email. There was no nothing like that then. No, yeah, yeah. no mobile phones. Nothing, you know. And I, I borrowed someone on his old uh, like word processor, mm-hmm. and uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to send a load of letters out um, to Everton, all the football clubs. I mean, I'm not a football fan or anything, but I just thought anyone who's got big money, yeah, yeah. and tell them what's happened in my life, and then ask them if they'll sponsor me, and. Um, one of the people was uh, Laura Ashley. The, the, the clothing? Yeah, the, well, the, clo- the, the, the kind of interior decor and yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. And, um, but unbeknownst to me, because I, I was completely didn't know anything about word processing, that the, the word processing didn't work properly. And so the letter I was stuck on a small I, and everything else was in capitals. And I didn't even notice. I just typed it all out. Yeah. I got letters back from everybody saying no, right? But but Laura Ashley, Laura Ashley wrote back to me and said, you know, we we are, loved your heartfelt letter and um, we'd love to see you and do an audition for us. Could you prepare these pieces? We particularly liked how you put everyone else in capitals and yourself uh, as a small eye, <laughs> you know. So um, you say it as if like you're as, sort of very subservient, or, as if I was like, you know, that's what's happened in my life. Yeah, yeah. That everyone, you know, that I was just this nothing. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I had done it was a complete fluke. Yeah. And so anyway, I came down and I, I went to their office in Covent Garden, and uh, I went and auditioned in front of these panel of like I think four people. They all just looked like Yoda, you know. They it was old, and <laughs> but they were great and. 
they wrote me a check out 15 grand there and then nice and um and then i got a i won a scholarship from leicester county council i was up against other people but mm-hmm. i was the only one who won it and then when i went on the radio sue townsend who wrote adrian mole right um and funnily enough i'd been in the marines with her nephew um and so uh, but i didn't know her she heard me talking about um, you know, lack of funding in, in, in education, well, the arts. And she came down to RADA and paid a load of money without yes. me knowing. Oh, and RADA told me. So within two weeks, I, the 40 grand was paid. That just shows you, like, I feel like, one, you're kind of destined to be doing this because things are kind of not always just happening easily for you, but eventually they're kind of falling into where they should be. So it makes me believe that there's an element of fate there, but it's also... You're talking about self-prof, uh, being like a sort of self-profit. If you decide on something, if you decide on an outcome, yeah. and there is no other alternative, then it is going to happen one way or another. I often say, like, whether it's invoking the law of attraction or whether it's just the fact that you're so focused on something that you then are then starting to notice the resources, whether they be people or, or things or, or sort of sources of income, they'll then be drawn to you. But if you decide on the outcome then it's going to happen like one mm. way or another. Because that, that's, yeah. that's mental the way all that's happening. Yeah. And it's like I always say to people, don't focus on the how, just focus on the what. So you don't have to always worry about how you're going to do something because when, you know, that how would you, if, if, if I said to you, you're going to have to tell me how you're going to get something, would you ever have went, well, Laura Ashley's going to pay it and then this woman, Sue Townsend, you say, yeah. is going to pay it. Like that would not, but you've decided on the outcome, and then these two bizarre ways. There's loads of things I've decided upon. Like mm. I decided I was moving, I was moving abroad, and I had no idea where. But I was like, I'm moving abroad, and that is the end of it. Four weeks later, I'm in Barcelona because I randomly, by accident, saw a, a job advert to be an English conversation assistant. Now, I would never in a million years... I had it in my head that I was going to go to Greece and sell pedalos on the beach. <laughs> I just was like, that, that's what I'm going to do. I think I'd like fucking watch Mamma Mia and being like, yeah, that, that'll be great, I'll do that. Um, <laughs> like, you, you just you just decide on the what and the hows come secondary. People say, how are you going to do that? I'm like, I don't fucking know, but I just know I'm going well, to... This is it. And a lot of people do, they concentrate on the how. Yeah, focus on the... And not that, you know... I am gonna. And this is it. There, there, there's there's just two ways of thinking, really. There is, there is the the kind of wall, and there's the door. Yeah. You know, and there's there's ways of making statements. I can't do this, or there is how can I do this? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. How can I make this happen? And and I think people like being around positive people. Yeah. And when you start, when I started telling people, I got into I'll go into Rado and all that kind of thing. Well, then they don't know no different, yeah, yeah. right? No, I didn't do it purposefully. Yeah. I did it because I completely believed it. And because I believed it, they believed it. And yeah. then they're telling people, and they believed it. And other people believed it. And next thing you know, I'm around all these people. He's going to Rada. He's going places, this lad. <laughs> yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? And, and then the next thing, they'll hear something about something. And they'll go, oh, Johnny's going to Rada. You know, I've got a mate who's doing this, that, and the other, blah, blah. And yeah, that's yeah. how it just, just, that's how my life's been. But it works the same way if you're going to be negative. Yeah, definitely. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Everyone I mean? around you, you know, you can be a polluter or a purifier. It's yeah. up to you. You know, you can be negative about everything, and then everyone knows, oh, that's a negative, keep away from that person. Or, you you know, you're somebody who is positive, full of energy, and let's, no, let's let's solve the problem. Let's yeah. make something happen. Do you know, I was talking to someone earlier as well today, and we were saying that within every setback and within every problem lies a positive slant or an opportunity. Like, within... 
what I said, I said Andrew Carnegie on Napoleon Hill said within every failure is the seed of another future yeah. success it's find the treasure in the trial yeah yeah. it's like well something may be a setback it, that could actually be a diversion it could be teaching you a much needed lesson like I would say everything that you learn everything that happens to you in life will benefit you in some way but it's not always going to be pleasurable no. it's like becoming really fit is actually a pretty sickeningly awful experience because mm. you're going through hours and hours of hell to get to that point it's like you know if you want the reward you're going to have to take the as you say the trial or the, the tribulation yeah absolutely how how did rather go overall was it a success it was um I mean I, again wherever you go you bump into yourself you still so, had the same things. I mean I, I mean I was in I was in good company we had a, it was a pedigree year I mean Maxine Peake was in my mm. class um, Sally Hawkins, who was just recently nominated for an Oscar in um, The Shape of Water, Shit, she right. played the, the the deaf girl. Right, okay. Um, and she was also in one of my son's favourite films, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Wow, <laughs> which just came out. Um, and uh, Tobias Menzies, um, he's uh, he, well, he was in one of the Bond movies, and then he's in, been in Outlander for a long time. Right, okay. Um, Gary Cargill, he's been in lots of different films, and uh, Joanna Page. Um, uh, Joanna Page. Joanna Page is, is that a not, Welsh girl. It's not from Gavin and Stacey. Yeah, it's Gavin and Stacey. No, yeah. no way. Yeah, we, we shared a class. Shared, that That's was, crazy. That was our year. Right. Okay. Wow. I mean, of course, I haven't seen her since I. I left, I mean, you know, um, and I left after, you know, pretty much halfway through the course. Right. And obviously they went on to finish it and get get agents and things like that. But what, yeah. whilst they were doing that, I was on the streets. It's, it so, remi- it's like a very much like a Russell Brand story to me. There's a lot of similarities. I'm not saying like that as a lazy comparison, but he's obviously a very talented guy as well, but he was dealing with some, yeah. some mad shit. So you've ended up, so you've left and then what did life just kind of disintegrate a little bit? You ended up on I left back. and whilst they were carrying on their course, I was on the streets selling the big issue, homeless, doing sonnets for money. Mm. And um, so then, you know, I was doing drugs and drinking and whatever and, you know, I, I had opportunities. I mean, I, I, you know, I've written a book years ago, and and I could write probably another five books since I've written that one. That, yeah. You know, but um, I had this self destruct button. Mm. You know, was it self sabotage? Did you feel like you were self sabotage? Yeah, like, absolutely. As, as yeah. In, I'm not getting to a certain point, and then that Jekyll and Hyde going, "You don't deserve this." So you're not. Oh, good for this. definitely, definitely wouldn't, couldn't not handle having things that I didn't deserve. Yeah. I'll be like, you know, um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that was, I mean, just for example, uh, going to RADA, my, my the, the day before my induction day, you know, and I, here I am, you know, John, Johnny Kinch from the council estate, you know, I'm, I, I turn up and I walk into reception and uh, Nicholas Barter, the principal, comes out and he goes, Johnny, oh, hey, uh, nice to see you. He says, uh, you, date, you know, you obviously you're going to be living next door because it was the first year that they were letting students live on Gower Street in, right. in uh, Bonham Carter House, mm-hmm. which is a nursing place uh, where medical students stay. So I've got a place there. He, he says, oh, I've got somebody here who, uh, you, who you would like to meet you. He's from Leicester. And then walking around the corner was uh, Sir Richard Attenborough. And like, so, and it, I've, I, I don't get kooky in front of, you know, celebrities or yeah. names or anything it doesn't bother me at all now yeah you know but that was the only time where you know I was like 
I kind of went a bit, bit red and didn't yeah, really know what uh, to say. And he came round, a little tiny two two hearing aids in, and I just remember, and he just went, ah, and he said, Johnny, up the Tigers, because he's from Leicester. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I was born in so Leicester. Funny. And we and he showed me, we went up these stairs, and he showed me in this glass case a book open, 1942, where he'd signed when he went to RADA. Wow. And, of course, I remember, I, I'd remembered his first ever film where he played Pinky in, in uh, Brighton Rock. And, you know, I loved him as an actor. Everyone, you know, he's, he's just a class guy. And then we went and had tea together. That's mental. Right? I was at a thing yesterday in King's Place. Uh, it was a podcast recording, and his, I don't know if it's his grandson, so Will Attenborough. Mm. You he was yeah. in Dunkirk yeah. mm. uh, he, spot, he was absolutely brilliant and then so it's so funny because then I was like wait a minute which one is his because he was talking about his dads and his uncles uh-huh. and I was like right, I still can't remember I think it's Michael Attenborough is his dad um, you know well there's there's David Attenborough and Richard Attenborough um, who so, are brothers so Richard is the one who's in Jurassic Park yes and David, David is, is the one is this the one still doing the wildlife you know, stuff yeah how, does, how mad is that how, how does that happen brothers like, from Leicester one's like David Attenborough's like a pure national treasure and then you've got like the both night like the pressure in that family. Oh I imagine. But what the nicest guys. Yeah. The nicest of I, guys, the humblest guy. Yeah, I sat and had tea with him and the, the, literally the day before I'd been scratching around for sixty P for a bag of chips. Mm. Right? Um, living on this estate, you know. Um and so it was just kind of like I just thought, well, things are gonna change, you know what I mean? It's all gonna happen. But the yeah. And it, it 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 could off, yeah, yeah. but at the end of the day, you know, I chose a different path. It's about voices and choices. Yeah. And I was listening to the wrong voices in my head, thinking that oh, no, I don't deserve this. Yeah. And that, you know, I listened to these negative voices because they're the ones that were predominant in my head, and I had no one there to guide me and say, you know, no, you need, you know, you've got a lot going for you. Yeah. I think you know. And I, I just took it for granted I got into RAD. I didn't, it was no big deal to me. Yeah. It is now. I look back and I go, friggin' heck, I got into RADA. Yes, massive, you know I, mean? I know. I mean, what, in, in the summer of the of the second year, well, that, the first year, the, the lady behind the, the reception, who was, uh, I can't remember, Pam, not Pam, uh, but she she was as cockney, you know, as anything. She, she was lovely, mm. and because of course I was council estate material, and and like there were lots of people in there who would come from wealthy families. Yeah, you know, she would tell me a bit of information, and she said, "Johnny, can you believe this?" She goes, "We just had an application from Johnny Depp for summer school, and they turned him down." And you got in. And I, I was like, no way! No like, way. Yeah, why would they not Johnny Depp? I don't know. He wanted to come and do something, some summer school Shakespeare stuff. And they turned him down. That is crazy. You know, and you've got in. And I got in. But anyway, and I, and I got out as well. Yeah. You know, and I suppose I've got one of those um, very few badges of I got kicked out of RADA. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, badges. But again, even, you know, while I was in the gutter, I was staring at the stars. And I was... Well, you that's know, one of my favourite Yeah, uh, you know, and, and I was. And I always felt like, you know... There's more. There's more for me. I'm not. You know. I don't know how, where, why, when, but you know. There's a spark of eternity inside of me, and and, yeah. and I know that. And I just need to maybe keep... maybe just you just had to go down that mad route. Yeah, to learn I, what you had to I, learn. Yeah, it was it was it was hot. It was awful. It was awful. Yeah. I was in and out of different hostels. I, the worst time in my life was when I was in um, the Bridge Hostel um, in Soho. Uh, on Dean Street, and it's it's closed down now. It's some offices. Uh, I did I did go back there 
um, when I had sorted my life out. Um, but I was in there, and I, I, I was all I could think about for about six months was suicide, and I just thought I just well I just kept hearing this. You you you're never going to get past a certain stage because yeah. you can't. It's not it's meant for you. You know you've got to take your own life and all the time. And it was this voice all the time. And you think it's you, and you think that's who I am. Mm-hmm. And I was fighting this voice, and I and it's and it's tiring, you know. And then when you're at your lowest point, and I remember going out, and there was a payphone box right outside, and I rang my dad of all people. You know, and I cried on the phone. What am I going to do? And he, I don't know what you want me to do about it. You know, and I put the phone down and I went back and into my room, and it was an all-male hostel. It was a very, very rough environment. And uh, I laid in my, on my bed and I looked up on the wardrobe and I realised I'd, I'd left a, a little pot of diazepam tablets. And I, there was only a few in there, I, but I just necked them. And next thing you know, I woke up the next morning, and it was another day. Mm-hmm. I was still in the same place, but I, I wasn't dead. And so I was like, well, come on. And I was very good at getting myself out of a bucket of crap and coming out smelling of roses. Mm-hmm. And so I eventually, you know, I went on to um, go and get the stage newspaper and looking through that and was going, I'm going to get, I've got to get out of this. I'm going to make some, you know. And I went on some Channel 4 show um, and I did, I was doing all sorts yeah, of yeah. crap. And then I found out about the Actors Guild and I applied there and I got a job uh, on a cruise ship for P&O uh, as assistant cruise director. Um, and I applied at the Actors Guild because I had previously done you know, paid act- acting work, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. They said, OK, we'll take you out, we'll buy your suits and buy all the things you need and give you the train fare and everything like that, which they did. And the guy who took me out was the original voiceover guy from... 15 to 1 the TV program right, okay. right, which I was a big fan of yeah, and, yeah. and he took me out and I was, I was going around Topshop with the voice of 15 to 1 <laughs> it was just the most bizarre thing yeah. and that's, how my, that's how my life's been and I went and worked on the ship and you know I was singing you know for a you know, thousand people every night and, mm-hmm. and running an entertainment group and all that but I got kicked off there for alcohol as well because it was an alcohol ship because we yeah. were carrying cars across to Bilbao right. um, and so you weren't allowed to because we had uh, crew duties as well yeah, yeah. but of course you know I, I wouldn't pay attention to those so I eventually got breathalyzed by the captain himself and and he just kicked me off the ship and I had nothing and I ended up back um, in Southampton just at the dock watching the ship go away with all my belongings on it and no money I think 50 quid in they didn't even let you get your stuff I didn't have time Fuck didn't it. have time so then that's when I I, I told you it's a long story that's when right. I then and there's there's loads more I'm not even saying but that's when I then went back to an ex-girlfriend of mine and I knew she was in China and broke into her house and lived in her house and then called her up from her own home landline and said I'm in your house how do you walk the tour you know, stuff <laughs> and, like, you know, and, like, um, and she she says oh I don't want you in there but she says I'll let you I'll let you stay in there till I get back and we'll talk yeah. and then she came back but while she was back I, I was in a car wrote a car off drunk uh, got, got cut out by the fire brigade and it was my cousin who was actually working in the fire brigade and cut me out and then um, played, pretended I was um, like, you know, unconscious because yeah. the police were there because I was hammered and 
they handcuffed me onto a stretcher, took me to Leicester Royal, and then um, they took the handcuffs off me because they wanted to, the docs wanted to check me over, and I just kept opening my eyes, <laughs> and I saw the coppers all at the end of the corridor. Like one eye, yeah, open, one eye, open. <laughs> and then I tried to jump up and do a runner, and they we had this big almighty fight, and rugby tackled me in Leicester Royal Infirmary, and I was slung in the cells, and and I yeah, I got my I got my shoulder dislocated from that from anyway, and you know. Now, and it was not long after that that uh, I know we're going on. How long have we been? No, it's fine. I was just checking the levels. Are right. Yeah, and but we've been going just over an hour. Blimey. Fine, mate. Go as long as you want. And so I, um, yeah, cut a long story short to get to the, you know, the end of that because it was just it was just more of that all the time. Just pure chaos. Like just chaos all the time. Yeah, you know, um, and then I ended up homeless again in uh, Nelson Mandela Park uh, in 2003 uh, and I just sat there and I didn't want to die but I I, I didn't know how to live Mm -hmm. and I had all these still these voices and I went to the council and is there any way I can get into a shelter or something and they were full because all the the, the kind of like institutionalised homeless people you know would go in for the winter yeah, and they said there's nowhere, and she said to me, "Look, you know, you're just not at risk enough," and, mm. and you know, and she actually said to me, "You know, if if you had attempted something, you, you they'd probably give you a bed." Mm. And basically, she was saying to me, "What I what I was hearing was go and try and commit suicide," Fuck and yeah. so I went into the park and necked all my my antidepressants, and then I remember. I was all over the shop, sat on this park bench, and um, it was right opposite Leicester Royal, the Nelson, Nelson Mandela Park, and and right um, behind the uh, Welford Road Prison, where I'd formerly been in, mm-hmm. and across from the road of the house where I was born in, right. on Welford Road. So I had this little square, yeah. you know, I was actually born on the kitchen table, <clears throat> I wasn't born in the infirmary, they didn't get me there in time. Really? And so... And I was just like, well, this may be the place that I die then. I next to these tablets. But then I, out of all of this mayhem, it's like, you know, in an orchestra when they're, when they're, when they're starting up and they're warming up and they call it a din. Yeah. Um, and it's like someone struck a triangle, you know, and, and it cut through all the noise. And it was just like a, a, a one positive sentence. And it just said, get up, go to the hospital because there's more for you. Mm-hmm. All right? And for some reason I managed to get to the hospital Collapsed in the hospital, came round with all these things on my chest, whatever. They didn't ask me anything. I think they pumped my stomach, and they didn't. They said we've got you one night in a hostel, and it was um, just a night shelter. And I went there and I woke up on this like put me up bed in the kitchen because there was no beds. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, man, I can I get down any lower? What is going on? And, and I caught the the bus I had like 40p or something over to Loughborough and it carried on it carried on I ended up that that New Year's Day I'd got into a hostel there but that New Year's Day I'd been in that hostel like four days that New Year's Day I came back late and they had a curfew so they wouldn't let me in the security guards so I ended up like battering the security guards the police came arrested me I woke up on New Year's Day in the cells mm. and then they chucked me out. I went back to the hostel. All my stuff was in bags. And um, I was, like, walking around the streets of Loughborough with these plastic bags. And then 
I decided I'd go and sit in the council office when it opened, um, I think on the second or third day, and I sat on the floor and just shouted at the top of my voice, I ain't going anywhere till you rehouse me. And security came over, I said, you touch me, I'm going to smash your face in. And I, they didn't know what to do with me, so they found me some place out in Kegworth. And um, basically, yeah, I, it was from there that I went to a flat, and then it was while I was in the flat um, that a guy came looking for me. And I owed drug money and all sorts of stuff. And I'd known this guy there for years. And he, he, I didn't know, but he'd become a Christian. And he was looking for me because he, he said to me he'd been praying. And while he was praying, God had told him to go and find Johnny Kinch. I'm going to change his life. And so he went looking for me everywhere. Eventually, we had this meeting. And, and he was telling me all about God and Jesus and this, that and the other. And I was like, listen, my dad, right, was a, was a pastor, a vicar of a church... <laughs> I know about God, yeah. right? If that's God, you know, I don't want to know what to do with it. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I, eventually I thought, you know what? If he's a Christian now, I know he's loaded. I, I'm going to ask him, you got any money? So I did, and he had to say, yeah. So I says, can I have some, please? I've got, I've got no money. So he, he gave me money, and then he kept giving me money, and, and then I, I felt a bit bad. <laughs> so he asked, kept asking me to go to church. So then I thought, well, I'll go to this church, this little Baptist church, and you know, I'll kind of like tap up the old grannies for a fiver and get a cup of tea and a biscuit and that. <laughs> and I went there and this guy preached and I came out. I felt weird. I went and home and I, and I and I wept in my dinner. And it wasn't a crying and I wasn't even making a noise. It was just just like water came out my eyes. Mm. And I was just sitting there and I felt afraid. I didn't know what was going on. And um, I, I kind of hid from him for a little while. Then I eventually went back, and that was the, the time when I, so I went. I said this prayer, you know. Mm-hmm. I went back to the in the back with this guy who was a preacher from Los Angeles, and he was there and and uh, talking about you know get rid of your baggage. Why don't you pick up some luggage? You know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it sounded appealing to me. And of course, I tried everything else. I was at I couldn't even top myself properly. Yeah, you know what I mean. So. I thought, well, I'll try this. And, and that, that was when I, everything changed. And that's when I went off to Bible college. I raised the money to go there. And the, the guys at the church said, no, you're too, you, you've, you've, just be, you know, you've just committed yourself. You've got so much wrong that, that we're not bothered about, but mm-hmm. we want to help you put right. Yeah. You know? I said, no, I've got, to, I've got to now go and study theology because I saw it was like a stage. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm an actor. Yeah, oh, do you yeah. want me? I want me out the front, that's don't you? Do you know what I mean? That's it. That's it. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. there was no one to rein me in, and they didn't know how to handle me. Mm-hmm. And so he said, "Look, it costs this amount to go to this Bible college. If you can get that money, then you know you can go." And I, so I just put a, a few feelers out. I went and done the the three peaks, ran them, and a few people came with me, and I raised all the money in, in about two weeks. Mm-hmm. And then just some random guy walked into the gym and said, I'd heard about you and blah, blah, and just wrote me a check out there and then for two grand. Uh, and I went off to this Bible college where I met my wife on the first day. Six weeks later, we were engaged. We'd been married 13 years and we've got two kids. And, and when I came out of Bible college, um, I started a charity. This is another crazy thing. started a charity at Costa Coffee and putting on live music events mm. where I would get different people to come and talk like you are doing. Yeah. 
right, in between the music sets. Maybe we'd have 15 yeah. minutes chat of like, how, what happened in your life? How did yeah, your yeah. life change? All this kind of thing. And then some people heard of it and, and then it got bigger and bigger. And then I managed to get in front of this chap called Lord Edmiston, who owns Subaru and Isuzu in Europe and Scandinavia. Right. He gave me about 250 grand and then I took it nationally. It became, we got over you know a million people went to these events and it's still going now yeah. because I had the breakdown, you know, because I wasn't cut out to do that. Yeah. You know, build all this thing from scratch, admin and all that. You know, just like pet, pet me up. Pet me up. Um, I handed it over to someone else, and that's when I decided to get back into acting. And um, after I kind of started to cope with the depression and all that mm-hmm. again from the tinnitus, yeah. so I, there I there I am. I'm finding myself again. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. After all of that, going yeah. around the world preaching about how free I've been set free <laughs> yeah. and everything like that. So I've gone from one thing to another, the sublime to the ridiculous, yeah. and you know, wrote a book about it all along the way, and uh, got my own radio show for BBC Radio uh, Derby. Brilliant. You know, they 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 interviewed me about my book, and I came out. The editor was there. He says, "Look, we'd like to give you your own show." I was like, "Okay." And then they trained me up and gave me my own show. And all this time, I was working night shifts at a hostel as well for homeless guys, and mm-hmm. and preaching and doing, oh, you know, so. So, I mean, every, you don't do things by halves. I mean, you're saying there, like, you're, you're kind of preaching about how things are great and then it kind of went back around again. You're human, you're fallible, but one thing that you keep demonstrating time and time again is that nobody's beyond redemption. Like, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what depths you've you've fallen to, it doesn't matter the things that you've done. If there's a true sort of, um, I suppose, regret, that you're, you're sort of sorry for things, you want to make up for things that you can. I think anybody listening... Everybody's done things. Everybody's had set. I always say, like the comeback is always bigger than the setback, mm. and the bigger the setback, then the, the lower the setback, then the the bigger the comeback. And I think anybody listening to it would will take like a, an inspiration that no matter what they've done, no matter what they've done to people, what's been done to them, you can learn from it. You can take those positives, and it sounds like such a cliche. Oh, you can take positives. It sounds like fucking. American life coach speak but you can and you, and you take yeah. these things in it and it will propel you propel you forward I mean that story is fucking like it's mental like when is surely there's a film coming out well you know who knows I mean you know after deciding to get back into acting I um, I got an agent yeah um, I did a tour uh, a theatre tour just to kind of wet my toes and see how I felt about it yeah. and um you know, but at that time as well, I had to file for bankruptcy because I'd just, you know, I'd gone from this, this salary, yeah, yeah. you know, the, the charity, yeah. um, to to nothing, yeah, you know. So then I had to file for bankruptcy, mm-hmm. and, and I didn't file for bankruptcy at first. I offered them uh, what's called a, vo- a voluntary yes, arrangement, yeah, yeah. you know, and and they turned it down. They wanted they wanted it's the world, yeah. you know, and so I thought, okay, well, if you're not going to do that. I can't, I can't do. I can't give you what I've not got. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you're not going to get nothing, and that's not. Yeah, I know, but I didn't want to do that. Yeah. I wanted to be honourable because yeah, I, I, I'd gone for a point in my life where I'd never paid a bill. I was a sponger to a point where I paid for everything. Yeah. I was the I was the supplier. So it's you know? like you've come into. I've heard people speak about this. You come into wealth, and then you realise where you once were, and you want to be the one who plugs gaps for others. That's right. Sort of provides. I gave for money others. away. I was. I was generous. I still am. Yeah. Even overstretch yourself. It's often people who have the least that give the most. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And it's like financial insecurity and financial instability doesn't come from not having money, but from that mindset mm. of of 
whether it's of constant lag or being so generous you then ex- overextend yourself and people see oh he's earning X, Y and Z so he can afford to sort of provide this and yeah like, it doesn't they do doesn't judge you people people judge you like that you know and buy your car or whatever now I've got this, this crappy little Citroen C1 I haven't bothered I yeah, don't it's, care yeah, it's just do you know car, what I've gone through all that yeah. I had the money when, when I was in the charity yeah. I, I, I exercised some of those material demons yeah, then yeah. and, and realised hold on a minute having this watch or having that car yeah. and I've just driven out of the showroom brand new didn't make, make me feel any better of a person it means nothing. and in fact I, I've wasted a whole lot of money yeah. and I just feel like an idiot yeah. and so actually having having less it's not where I want to be necessarily but uh, it's being content yeah. you know yeah. and I want to make sure my family are fine and all that so getting back into acting you know I, I went and I, I wet my toes and, and then um, I got a, a better agent and then I was with them for a while you know, the kind of pinnacle of that was Vanity Fair last year on ITV and Amazon oh. Prime. But, you know, this didn't work out with that particular agency. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're good people. We just, I was up and down going for kind of commercials all the time and just yeah. jobs that I just was not interested in. And and so I thought, okay, we, we parted company. I'm going to be my agent because mm-hmm. nobody knows me better than me. Yeah, Nobody's going to talk me up better than me. And I then went searching and this is when I found James Smith and, and Caroline Spence mm-hmm. and Raya Films yeah. and they were even in my locality and I was like what What? The, yeah, these yeah. people have been here all this time and they just made this you know this film that they just released called Do Something Jake which yeah. is on my cat yeah. um, and I, so I started like emailing them and having a conversation I'm interested in a, a project that they were doing at the end of this year, mm-hmm. uh, which is now being postponed until the beginning of next year because there's another project. Um, and the person that was cast, already cast in it as a as a female role, as a, playing an older lady, um, uh, D. I had I, not seen her for twenty odd years. She was she was in Emmerdale. Uh, one of the dingles and oh, I yeah. I had I was in Soap Stars, which was a program which was the pre. All of the kind of like. Oh me, I remember that. And then somebody got. Someone... And I was the guy who shouted, "Who's the daddy?" No way. Yeah, and no I, way. I was like, got down to the last two dads. No way. Yeah, and I was me, known, I known all over the country at the time, you know. And uh, it was out of that that I got an agent, and then got the bill and doctors and things like that. And I, that was around two thousand, two thousand one. Yeah, yeah. But then again, I, I, you know, I lost it all. I was ringing up Neil Morrissey, you know, drunk, you know, and and you know abusing my position I didn't give a crap yeah. and then I ended up homeless again and people were saying I knew that guy was another thing and I was like I just want a bed yeah. you know what I mean and it was really tough to do yeah, that must be really but difficult. anyway I got into chatting with with James and Caroline and then and then just happened to meet Dee in, yeah. in my local gym where I'd been training I didn't nice. know she'd been training there and then she was telling me about this movie and blah blah, blah. and then I met up with James and Caroline and um, they says, well, yeah, we, we'd like you for that part for this other film, which is called Last Good Deed. Um, might have a little tiny role for you in this one we're doing called Surveilled. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, that'd be cool. And they were going off to Cannes um, to show um, Do Something Jake, yeah, yeah. which got picked up and is now in global distribution. Um, you know, you can get it, whatever, you know, on Amazon and things like that. And, mm-hmm. um, and so when they came back we had a, a longer meeting and I said yeah okay how about you know this this character and I was like okay and then they went off to Spain because they're, they're 
they were part living out there and um and then i just thought well I, look i'm on the ground here yeah, yeah. Uh, okay so you want locations and we were talking about locations i went out location hunting and found loads of locations pinging them over via yeah, whatsapp yeah, yeah. do you know what i mean you need props so i went out getting all the props you need a set i built a set mm-hmm. in my attic i live in a 700 year old house right. right so i built this set in my attic which is we've already filmed in it's been used in the film nice. and like and so now I've, I've you know i've got really heavily involved in it and it's yeah. great working with them yeah. and the project's just just blown up mm-hmm. you know i start you know I, I got all newspaper coverage for it radio and right. you know they're all interested again and you know oh johnny's doing this because i was known for, for acting locally and whatever and so this the script's amazing and i can't see any reason why when this is finished and this is hopefully going to go to Cannes next year. Yeah. And this is going to get picked up, and it'll be a really, really good film. Yeah, the locations right. we've got. I've got mates who've got, you know, it's got a really old, like, Victorian mansion that let us film at, and we put some stuff out in our village um, looking for properties, and just loads of people came out. Mm. And, um, yeah, you know, they, they says, oh, we need we need a, a posh car. I just rang my mate. I says, what cars you got? He says, oh, you want the Range Rover or the Bentley or whatever. And I said, oh, give us a Bentley. We'll have the Bentley on this day. So it just came, yeah, everything yeah. came up to the standard and the acting's up at a standard. So yeah. we want to maintain that all the way through. Yeah, and I'm yeah. just, so I was working with them yesterday and working with them for the rest of the month as well. So when I'm not acting, I'm doing the clapper or I'm doing running for them. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not bothered. I don't give a crap. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm enjoying this being part of it yeah. and making it happen. Yeah. It's, it's just doing it for that enjoyment of what you love it's Absolutely. just being involved in it in, in any capacity so to be doing all those multiple things and that's a wee trip to can as well isn't it yeah yeah I mean I, I really believe that this will do very well yeah I'm and really looking forward to seeing it now yeah and, and the next one you know I mean bearing in mind this has been done on really no budget yeah you know, pretty much nothing, as far as film it? goes it's pretty much nothing <clears throat> just a few grand yeah, uh, and, and just some ingenuity and, yeah. and who you know. That's all. That's yeah. the beauty and the mystique, doesn't it? Yeah. And I'm definitely looking forward to seeing it. Where, where, and when can people? Is there, is there any idea of when people can see it or where they'll be able to? So it will go to can in a rough format. Yeah. Um, and of course, I'm going to make sure that if, when it does, I'm there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Pushing it. You know, networking all that whole kind of thing. And um, and then hopefully it will get picked up and like I say become bigger than we can possibly imagine. Yeah. And uh, and I'm doing it as well because I want to be active. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I am not technically even getting paid. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm going way above and beyond what any actor yeah, yeah. should or would do normally um, because I just want this project to work. I want to be involved in it yeah. uh, and I want it to lead on for, to, for things, you know, for me, yeah. for, for where obviously I want to earn some money. Yeah. Um, but you know, you, you've got to sometimes you've got to cut your own jib. You know what I mean? You've, you've got to, you've, you've got to cut your own cloth and you can't wait for someone to come put it in your lap. Exactly. Cause nobody's going to like, nobody always say nobody's going to offer your seat at the table you need to come up and demand it and take it and say like I'm here yeah uh, and yeah put what you going over and above eventually you know you say if you do more than you're paid to do you'll soon be paid more than you actually yeah absolutely um, and not that you're looking at it from that perspective it just has like financial gain but it just makes the world go round doesn't it and absolutely that's it. yeah that's what you need um, if you had to sum up from like from a positive perspective, if you could, you know, how, just in a sentence, how would you 
sum up your, your life? Well, <clears throat> what I have said to my wife on a few times that what I want putting on my gravestone mm-hmm. is he made it to the end. Now, what I mean by that is I wasn't taken by my own hand. Yeah. Right? Because a lot of people I've known have committed suicide or people or alcohol's <clears throat> taken them or drugs have taken them. You know, and having gone through many suicidal thoughts myself, mm-hmm. you know, my my children and my wife and my my legacy, in a sense, is, you know, this was a guy that was a complete mess and, and was a wreck that became a rock, you know what I mean? And a rock to his children. They look, I, they look, they idolise me. They look up to me, you know what I mean? I'm their superhero. Mm. And that, to me, means everything. Yeah. And, you know... I have no right in taking myself away from them. Yeah. And and no voice in my head has any right of taking my life or anybody else's for that matter. Yeah. You know, just because you might be depressed or you you feel or things aren't going your way, you know, or how you want or you're in terrible financial debt which I've been in, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And you know, what they're going to do? What's anyone going to do? No, no, you know, there's yeah. no, there's no no point in taking your own life. That's not going to solve anything, yeah. you know. And because you just don't know. I used to always remember a song. And this you asked for one sentence. I'm giving you the long way around. But like, I just like remember that, yeah. a song where it said, you know, it's an old song, but you know, I know that there is pain. But if you hold on for one more day, you'll break free from the chains. And I always had that going around in my head whenever I was thinking about suicide because I kept hearing that song. It was out at that time. Yeah. And I've always remembered it. And whenever I hear it on the radio now, it takes me straight back there. Yeah. You know, and you just don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. The night comes, it's dark, it's scary, but then comes the sunshine. Yeah. You know, then comes the daylight. You can look, look at things in different perspective. So for me, uh, it's, you know, I made it to the end. And I just gave it all I've got. Hold on till then, because there's nothing that isn't fixable. There's nothing, n- there's nothing. There's nothing. And on that note, mate, what an entertaining ride this was. I think people are going to take so much from it. And uh, this is magic. Oh, social media, where can people get you? You can get me on Twitter at Johnny Kinch, J O H double M Y K I N C H. You can get me on uh, Facebook, same Johnny Kinch, and same on Instagram. And generally, I'm just yeah. on those three, and you know, I'll be uh, sharing this. Yeah, I'll share them as well, and I'll, I'll have your. your tags in the like the episode notes and stuff so suppose we've round up by saying the comeback is always bigger than the setback yeah you have proved that 90 times over mate what a pleasure it's a pleasure thanks for having me on legend my pleasure indeed i know this pain why do you lock yourself up in these chains no one can change your life Don't you know, don't you know, it's a change, things are going